Summer is here in Texas, and the time is right to thank my wonderful patrons. I want to say thank you to Dave and Jennifer Van Evers, Jeff Ulmer, Sylvia Groth, Liz Brunson, Fernando Santamaria Lazarno, Steve Vansack, Randy Brown, Rob Barnett, Crystal Carroll, Bella Pori, John Munson, Betsy Hodges, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Steve Rogers, Dale Hozak, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Their support means the world to me. If you want to get access to unedited episodes, video of my discussions with my guests, and a personal thank you card from me with a Set Lusting Bruce sticker, please go to patreon.com setlustingbruce. Sign up for as little as $5. Now, on to the show. My favorites back then were definitely Duran, Sting, U2. I know there were more. I got big into the Monkees revival, too, when they turned up on VH1 or whichever channel it was that started showing them again. And the one that has stuck with me that apparently didn't stick with anyone else was AHA who most people don't know were actually way more than one song. They just didn't get the airplay here, but they did everywhere else. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train today, but he will come up, and we've got a revolutionary with us, someone who is trying to make help people become creative one person at a time. Nancy Norbeck, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little about yourself. So I am, as you mentioned, I am a creativity coach and I'm also a writer. I play around with singing, acting, all sorts of other stuff. But my real thing is, as you say, trying to bring out the creativity that's already in everyone, whether people believe that it's there or not, it's there. I promise you, you do a dozen creative things every day that you don't even think about because you don't consider them creative, even though they are. And so I'm just trying to get people to recognize that creativity is not an afterthought. It's not something with no value. It's actually incredibly valuable. And the more you explore your creativity, the more you tend not only to be a happier person, but to have a fuller life. And that is also why I do my podcast, which is called Follow Your Curiosity, where I talk to lots of creative people about their journeys and what they've learned, and also offer little tips as well. So, so that's me in a nutshell. I think that is great. I'm a little concerned now because one of the things that I get compliments about is that when I have guests on the podcast, we talk about different things. And for example, I'll have someone that says, 
it was so much fun just to talk music instead of having to talk about consulting or gun safety or something. I now want to spend a whole hour just talking to you about this creativity <laughs> thing. And I'll, and we won't. We will dw- dwell in that a little bit on everything. But one of the things that frustrates me with my lovely bride, and by the way, Friday, when we recorded this, we're 39th wedding anniversary. So we've, we've made it work. But she always says, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Uh, and, and I'm sure you hear people say that all the time. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they see people who can take three or four scraps of cloth and make a quilt out of it. Or they take and and they do this, they can draw or they can do some kind of creative wrapping or they do something physically that go, oh, I just don't have that creative spark. And the reality, that's why I really, we will get to this in a minute, but I want to spend some time, if you don't mind having a busman's holiday, as they say, <laughs> why you say everyone is creative. Because I get told often, Jesse, I can't be on your podcast. I don't have anything interesting to say. And I go, I believe every Bruce Springsteen fan, and put in parentheses, musician fan, but for now, we'll just stick to the standard Bruce fan has a story to tell. Everyone has a unique journey. Everyone has an experience that is unlike anyone else's. And part of my goal or mission is to capture those for the record so they can share to their siblings, their parents, their friends, and other Springsteen fans to hear their unique story. Right? And I think- Creativity is the same thing, right? All of us have something in there and either we're not letting it out or I think in off cases, I'm going to guess, they're not recognizing this gift they have, even though they use it every day. Yes, that is exactly right. There's, we're not recognizing it. And it's because a lot of the times we define creativity too narrowly. We define it as, oh, my next door neighbor is a dancer, or my mom was a painter, or my my dad was a photographer, what, whatever. We define it as only being the arts, but that is not all that creativity is. And if you stop and think about it for a minute, there's a huge push in the business and industry world in the last decade or so for innovation which is just a fancy corporatized version of creativity. They just don't want it to sound too artsy because then people will devalue it. But it's the same thing. If you are good at going into a business meeting, even if all you do is make widgets and brainstorming ideas, that's creativity right there. Coming up with a new way to solve a process that doesn't work in your business, that's creativity. Cooking especially if you are halfway through the recipe and suddenly realize, oh crap, I don't have this ingredient I thought I had, and you figure out how to make it work. Or there are people who can cook without a recipe, you just pull things out of their fridge and make something. That is immense creativity, but we don't recognize it because we think it has to be these high level art things when it's really everywhere and everybody's, if you are breathing 
your creative. And part of the way that, that I, I feel like it should be obvious, more obvious than it is because we were all creative when we were kids, right? We all played, let's pretend we all made things. I'm building this thing out of Legos and it doesn't look like anything to anybody else, but to me, it's a boat. We all did stuff like that. We just had it drummed out of us. And that's why we think we don't have it anymore. It's still there. It's just a question of letting ourselves get past all of that cultural programming to wake it back up again. I, I love that, Nancy. And we're going to get back to that. But I do want to start <laughs> at the beginning. Sure. So I always like to ask my guests, where did you grow up? And what kind of music did you listen to when you were a youngster? I grew up in York, Pennsylvania, which is South Central Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Baltimore, two hours west of Philly. And I grew up with parents who only listened to classical music. So for a long time, I did not know that there was anything else. My parents were and still are dedicated choral singers. My mom was a flute teacher. And so there was always music in the house, but it was always classical. We were getting taken to symphony concerts as a kid. And I think I was in third grade or so when I was playing around with the radio dial one day and discovered that there was something else, which I don't think thrilled my parents, <laughs> but was very exciting for me. And that started me down the road of listening to pop music and sorry, I'll listen to your stuff too, but I want to listen to my stuff and, and it did become their stuff and my stuff for a long time now i listen to pretty much anything but yeah that's how i got started a little different than a lot of people what time period did you what time period is this where you discovered the radio i would guess i'm pretty sure the first song i stumbled on the radio was john mellencamp's hurt so good okay. so that whenever that, that was era. Like maybe early-ish 80s okay yeah I'm picturing the stereotypical 1950s, 60s sitcom where the kid <laughs> is hiding Playboys in the mattress in their bedroom. You're hiding a pop radio. That, yeah, I want to hear a Madonna song. So <laughs> that, that was pretty much it. Yeah. My radio was in my room. My mom would let me play whatever I wanted in the car, but I knew better than to even ask my dad. Just, that's never going to fly. I'm not even going to go there. Did you ever ask them why they weren't interested in quote unquote popular music or modern music? I never asked why. I think, like I said, my mom was more willing at least to have it on in the background, but I, I think my dad just didn't like it. He's still, if, cause I would always, what you were talking about, I would have my records and I would play them in the living room. But if I heard the garage door come up at the end of the day, I'd turn it off because I just knew. And if I didn't get there fast enough or whatever, he'd come and say, what is this noise? Something like that. And I think it's just not his cup of tea. He would rather listen to Beethoven or Handel or whatever. And that's fine. It's, I think when he decided on his college radio station, the one time that he DJed that he was going to fill the time with Handel's Messiah, he was probably the least popular person on his college campus, but you know, that's just who he is. I think that's interesting because um, I would have thought <clears throat> that there would have been almost a, oh, Nancy, let me explain to you what this so-called 
artist pushing the envelope is actually they're taking stuff from Brahms and doing like other words he would have found the uh influences of that that's pretty cool uh, good for him for sticking to his gut <laughs> yeah i i've told this story way too many times so skip ahead a couple of minutes listeners if you're tired of hearing me talk about my parents they were very much into country music only my mom a little bit of 50s rock and roll but i was born in 59 we're talking middle 60s and I still, I, I think people think I'm over-exaggerating, but it really was. We were visiting my grandparents in Ohio, and one of my cousins, we were sitting outside on the grass the way kids do, and one of them could not believe I could not name all four Beatles. Wow. Because we weren't listening to the Beatles in my house. <laughs> Probably the first ever much there was no ed sullivan experience for me i could talk to you about hee haw all you want uh, <laughs> the johnny cash show i can remember but it so it was very different and but my dad was played the guitar and he he would appreciate the musicianship of some music but just would not be, that's not what, as you said, not his cup of tea. It's just not what he wanted. My mom was a little bit more similar to yours. She loved Fats Domino and Bobby Darin and other musician, but just her heart belonged to Charlie Pride and Hank Williams and Merle Haggard and all Charlie Rich and that kind of music. Yeah. You're, it's funny. You're reminding me one time when I was in middle school, my friends and I were super into the Beatles, which just baffled my mom she's you're 20 years too late what are you doing <laughs> we were also super into duran i'm not sure that was not i don't think it was a coincidence with all the comparisons between the two that were drawn back then but at one point when we were talking about the beatles she started to sing hey jude and i nearly fell over because i never expected to hear that from her it's like how do you know a beatles song <laughs> what it's like finding out your parents speak Greek. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. No, we, there's no Greek in our background. Of course, I, I remember years ago, they had the Keanu Reeves remake of The Day the World Stopped, or what? I can't remember the exact title, right? I watched the original and was amazed how good of a movie it was. Not how good of a movie it was for the time, just, God, this is. And what I think your mom understood, but also she's being a little facetious, if you've never heard the Beatles music, it's new to you. If you've never picked up the Godfather novel and you've just seen movies or done ever, that impact is, wow, this is really good. So when you discovered it's new to you. And when I think that's one of those things that you may be late to the party. I'm going through a similar thing. I've had several friends telling me how much they love Jason Isbell. And I've, oh, yeah, I think so. I've listened to a couple. But I went and saw him in Austin last month. And so to get ready for the concert, I did my homework. I listened to a lot of Jason Isbell. Just that's all I was listening to. And now I'm like, my wife is rolling her eyes. Did you cheat on Bruce? 
what is this new guy? I'm like, it's my new obsession. This guy is amazingly good. And so people are rolling their eyes. Is, yeah, Jesse, this is what's new to me. Okay. And it's fresh. So you mentioned, so going into high school, everything else, were there bands that spoke to you? Were there musicians that specifically, that kind of felt like they were speaking to your heart? My favorites back then were definitely Duran, Sting, U2. I know there were more. I got big into the Monkees revival too, when they turned up on VH1 or whichever channel it was that started showing them again. And the one that has stuck with me that apparently didn't stick with anyone else was AHA, who most people don't know were actually way more than one song. They just didn't get the airplay here, but they did everywhere else. And have they remained one of your favorite bands? Yes. That is fascinating. Because, <laughs> yeah, because you immediately think of that awesome video. Mm -hmm. And that a wonderful pop song. It was everywhere on the videos. It is, I can hear that the riff and the, the chorus in it right now. And... Sad to say, if you said, I've got a Amazon $1,000 gift card that will go to your account immediately, Jesse, name another AHA song. <laughs> I'd be, yeah. Did, I'm guessing, no, I'm not going to guess anything. Talk to me how you first discovered them and why did you go down the choice of being like, oh, that was a cool video. Oh, I like that song and moving on to exploring more. I found them with the video, just like everybody else did, the video and the song on the radio. And I think it was like seventh or eighth grade, pretty sure that was middle school, and bought the album, loved the album, played the album to death. Um, might still actually have the LP. <laughs> Definitely still have the CD. And then there was another album and I stumbled on it in a CD store and I bought it and I loved that one. And this was way before anything like the internet. If there was a fan club, I never knew anything about it. So I was totally on my own and none of my friends were paying any attention. It was like, hey, they have this other album out. It's really good. And they were like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I was just every once in a while when I would wander into a record store, I would go and I would see, oh, maybe there's an aha, maybe there's something under aha. And I had the first four albums easily. And I think, I think I found the fifth one later on because again, it was just kind of trial and error and stumbling on them. But I just always really liked their music, even though nobody else that I knew was listening to it. And after a while, I started joking that I was one of eight people in the US who knew that they still existed, which is definitely not true because I went to see them last year at Radio City Music Hall, which they sold out. It was the first time they would been in New York in years. And I stumbled on that too. I always thought that if I wanted to go see them, I'd have to go to Norway or apparently LA. But if you're going to go that far from New Jersey, you might as well cross the ocean and go to Norway because it's new and different. But, but yeah, no, th there's just something. First of all, Morton has an amazing voice, but they just write these songs that I've seen since described as that they specialize in soaring melancholy. And I was like, yeah, that's a really good description. 
not to say that it's all super sad or whatever, because it's not, but they're just, they're a little different than everybody else. And, and it just works for me. I'm not really sure how to explain it other than that, but it just works for me. And I, I do like things that I can sing along with and I can sing along with their stuff really easily. You are bringing back very happy memories <clears throat> of we listen to music differently now with streaming services and YouTube and Spotify and Amazon Music, just name whatever you want, SiriusXM. And you're reminding me of the time where you would hear a song on the radio and you'd go, oh, and you'd go buy the album and you'd discover that might be the least, that might be one of the, not the best song. I won't say the worst song of the album, but right, one of the, this is even the best song. I remember when Hotel California came out, our chemistry and uh, uh, physics teacher, Jeff Cormier, talked about that New Girl in Town was not even close to the best song on the album. And that was the first single. So you're making a smile, remembering that joy, right? Of you bought the album for that. Now then people pay the $1.99, buy that song and move on. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I was buying those subsequent albums, when there was no hit song to go with it, which is amazing because the other thing that people don't remember about them is they did a Bond theme. And even with that, which was on their third album, they still didn't get any new traction in the US, which is astonishing to me. But without that hit song, you're giving equal weight by definition to everything on that album. So you're experiencing it all equally informing your own opinion about what your favorite thing is. Not that you wouldn't necessarily do that anyway, like you say, New Girl in Town isn't the best song on this album. So you're not necessarily swayed by what the big hit is, but you are experiencing it in a different way because you don't have what you're hearing on the radio and what your friends are listening to and saying about it influencing you. So it is an oddly, what's the word I want? Solitary thing in that kind of a context because there's no social aspect to it at all. It's just you and that album and your experience of it. Yeah, and you're not predetermined by what, oh, okay, here's the hit or here's the song. Was this recent concert the first time you'd seen him live? Yes. I take it you have remained a fan. <laughs> I have, and it was wild being in a room with that many other fans. It was yeah, very and, and, strange, but very cool. And I'm not, uh, I'm glad I made you laugh because what I meant is, you mentioned the monkeys two years ago, or maybe a year ago. They, um, Michael Nesmith and Mickey Dolenz were touring because mm -hmm. Peter and Davey were have both passed. And it, I had bought tickets before the pandemic. They had finally came back after the pandemic, and I went, and I had a blast. I I just enjoyed, but Michael Nesmith, you could tell, was in poor health. Mm -hmm. He walked out on stage with a cane. He had a, like you would picture a bar stool, almost a stool on stage. And when he wasn't singing, he was leaned up on that. Mickey Dolan did most of the heavy lifting. But Michael Nesmith did 
tell a very funny story that when he he went to the producers of the show and said, I want to, I've written a song and I want to record it. And they said, this isn't a monkey song. He said, I'm a monkey and I wrote it. How can it not be a monkey song? And he says, it's okay. He says, we gave it to some hardly unknown singer, Linda Ronstadt, and she did a different drum, right? So I went and enjoyed that concert immensely. And then a few months later, he died, which was made it extra special. Oh, wow. I'm really, <clears throat> there's so many great musicians like Tom Petty, I never saw live. And so I'm like, okay, I, I didn't miss this one. But I would not have said I was a monkey fan, right? <laughs> so that's why the question, you've consistently been, they're part of your musical journey. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I stumbled on a bit from their MTV Unplugged from, I think it was 2017, a couple of years ago, and was just completely blown away by that because it was like, it's my band, but they're totally different and new and awesome. And that most of that show is up on YouTube and is absolutely amazing. And I was like, now I want you to re-record everything you've ever done as an acoustic album. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get, but it was also, you too so did it great. So well, maybe, true. right. You, never you know, know. Yeah, you never know, but yes. But it was also just so cool to see the three of them who apparently don't always see eye to eye on everything, having fun on this stage after all this time, when I finally caved and bought the album with the Blu-ray and popped it on when I first got it, I actually started crying a little bit because I was just like, this is so awesome. This is so amazing. But equally amazing was actually being in a room full of other people who, wow, you know who they are too. You remember them. They're more than just one song. It's like, this is, I really thought I was in such a minority, but, and I know I still am, but it feels like less of one now. So Nancy, were you... year before last or last year, a bunch of my buddies said, Kiss is coming to Fort Worth. Do you want to make a field trip? I'm like, yeah, that'll be fun. A bunch of us going. And when I was a senior in high school, I went through a phase where I just adored Kiss. I never put makeup on, but I, I, I the Kiss 8 tracks were a pretty constant rotation. And the 16, 17-year-old Jesse, and I'm I was probably 61 at the time, was feeling <laughs> his joy, right? That this, I can't believe I'm in the stadium watching Kiss perform. So was the 15 or 16-year-old Nancy just, it, but it sounds like the adult Nancy was just as gleeful. <laughs> but was the teenage Nancy just inside you going crazy? I said to a couple friends last year, my, my inner 14-year-old had a great year last year because Growing up with classical only parents, you can just imagine how excited they were when I said, hey, I want to go to Philadelphia and see Duran when I was in seventh grade. That was just not happening. And so last year I saw AHA, Howard Jones and Duran all in the same year. And it was just like, yeah, my inner 14 year old is so happy. 14 you know? year old Nancy is crushing it, baby. She's having a great time. Adult Nancy also having a great time. Yes, but, but, but 14 year old yeah. Nancy is winning life, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, it was like, it took a long time, but we finally got here. <laughs> yeah. If, and I did not ask you to do this beforehand, so if you need to take some time and get back to me, we can. And in fact, I'd love to make an episode out of it, of you either give me an album I should start with, or if you want to... If you want to cheat and give me my own 10-song playlist of AHA songs, I will build a Spotify playlist. I will listen to it, and then in about a month or so, I'll have you come back on, and we can discuss why you picked these songs and what I thought of them. Ooh, that would be really cool. Yeah. That would be really cool. Part of me is tempted to say, go check out the acoustic album, but I think it would be a lot of fun to come up with that playlist. So I'll okay. I'll chew on that and send it to you. Okay, good. I've done this a couple of times with people. I had a wonderful guy who is loves the Bee Gees. And he and I bonded over the, when someone says, I can't stand the Bee Gees, he says, have you listened to anything besides Saturday Night Fever soundtrack? I said, oh, yes. And when someone says, I can't stand Bruce Springsteen, I go, have you listened to anything besides Born in the USA? <laughs> and he did. He picked some songs and we, he came back on and I talked about the, what I loved, what I didn't like. And it was a good discussion. And I'm reminded of your story. So tell me, where are they big at? Where is AHA big at? Where have they had they, a lot of commercial success? They've stayed really big in the, the UK and Europe unsurprisingly in in norway i was really amused last year to hear a guy behind me say that he'd flown over from london for this concert and right after he bought the tickets they announced dates in london <laughs> I was like, okay you got a trip to new york out of it exactly so, yes know. yes but the story that blew my mind and i don't remember what year it was but there was a big music festival in brazil i must have been in rio and they sold out when no one else did. And I don't remember who else was on the the list. It was like people you have heard of, people you would remember before you would remember AHA. And they sold out their show when nobody else did. And apparently there were music journalists there from the US who were calling back saying, this is a huge story, we need to cover this. And we're told not to. I was like, really? So I think that they still, in a lot of places, I don't know how big they are in Brazil specifically versus how many people who had come to that festival from other places were yeah. aware of them. But but yeah, they still do really well overseas. And part of the reason, yeah, I could have gone to London and I love London. I've been to London many times, but I would have gone to Norway because first of all, I haven't been there, but also I have Norwegian roots and my grandfather had always wanted to go. So it was like, I'll go take the trip that my grandfather wanted to take and go see AHA at the same time. What could, why not? But yeah, like there, there are big fan groups like on, on Facebook and most of those folks are over in Europe in various places. So they've still got a bunch of traction over there. And for some reason, somebody just shut them down over here deliberately or not i couldn't say but yeah so what i find interesting is there is a lot of discussion rightly about how small the world is now and but just recently um one of my friends We do a Babylon 5 podcast, but every once in a while we go off on a tangent and do something else. And so he's from Canada, and he wanted to talk about the Tragically Hip. And I do nothing about them except 
another podcast had covered their songs because they were from Canada. And so I did a deep dive and I'm like, how did this band not cross over to the U.S.? They're so good. The only time they were on American TV that I could tell was when Danny Aykroyd was returning as a guest host. He had them as the band, being Canadian. And it is, even though we are this global society, it it makes me a little happy and also a little sad at the same time that there's these pockets of their R's. This is our band. This is Canadian band. This is a, Nor- Nor- a Norway, Norwegian band. Makes me sad and happy at the same time. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. And it's interesting that you say that because one of my other favorite bands is less a band than a collaboration by a bunch of different musicians and bands from New Zealand called Fly My Pretties that I probably really am one of five people in the U.S. who knows who they are, though maybe not anymore after this goes out, that I discovered on Twitter maybe eight or nine years ago and just loved them. And when I finally went to New Zealand, I picked my date by when I could go hear them, which was a great call. I might not ever get the chance to hear them again because they rarely ever play out of outside of New Zealand, occasionally in Australia, but they're certainly not coming here. So yeah. I've established that I've been married for 39 years. So you can take this with not threatening. I'm in love with you, Nancy. <laughs> I think planning your trip to make sure you get to see the show you want to see is the greatest thing ever. I, a few years ago, that's more than that now, I worked for a company that had a very small office in Winnipeg, Canada. And I would go to Winnipeg about once a year to visit the office because all the employees reported up to me. And I went to my boss and I said, hey, I want to go to Winnipeg. Okay, it's about time. I said, I want to clear honesty. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys is doing a show when I'm going to visit. (laughs) And that's really the reason I'm going. I'm going to spend all the time with the people I warmly. But instead of being alone in my hotel room one night, I'm going to be at the concert. I don't care. And so I joked to everyone who would ask, what's your purpose of visiting Canada? If my boss asks you, it's to visit my team. But the reality is I'm going to see Brian Wilson. <laughs> if you can make it happen, why not? <laughs> yes, that is perfect. Oh, that's great. All right, fly me my pretties. Fly my pretties. Fly my pretties. And aha, I've written it down. Those are going to be my, uh, I'm going to I'm going to do some research and then you're going to send me a song list. And then we'll have you back on and we'll discuss them. So let's switch to your career path. How did you end up getting where you are now by doing this podcast, being a writer, and your calling of getting people to acknowledge and embrace their creative side? I think a lot of it is from my own experiences having my creative interests devalued feels like too strong a word and yet it isn't at the same time when you're growing up it's music was always important in my house like i said my my parents were always making music i started singing in choirs when i was four i took piano lessons for a while i tried to take flute lessons for a while pro tip don't 
try to take lessons from a parent doesn't work well. Not uh, necessarily anyone's fault. It just doesn't work. Well. It's often it is really bad for your parents to teach you how yeah. to drive. And yet they they do that all the time. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, it was also, yes, this is important, but you it, don't make it too important. It can't be yeah. your career. It can't be this. It can't be that. And just the way you go to school and it's all about the academics, right? Because somehow the arts aren't academic. I don't understand. But they fall to the bottom of the pile, right? Your grade in algebra and physics and whatever is way more important than your grade in art or music and, and yes. all of that. And I definitely got the speech about how the arts should be your avocation and not the thing you do all the time. And I will say there was some logic to it because if you are taking the thing that, that you love that much and you're turning it into something that has to make money for you, you can ruin the love part of it in a hurry. So it's part of the reason that I try to tell people, don't think about making money with it first. You have to do what you're called to do and be true to that vision and then figure out how to make money with what you've got. If you try to figure out how to please everybody, you'll end up just, nobody will be happy. But between that and seeing that happen a lot in the culture, and then eventually I taught for eight years and I was the literary magazine advisor, but we had no creative writing class. How are you going to have a literary magazine if you don't have a creative writing class to fuel the literary magazine? And so I decided to go get my MFA in writing, which I did over my last two years in that job and still never got a creative writing class, <laughs> but it really got me thinking more about the importance of that kind of work because I was teaching English as a second language. And a lot of people in my school, when I said I was going to do a creative writing unit, said, why are you doing that? ESL kids can't do creative writing. And I was like, what do you mean ESL kids can't do creative writing? It's like saying ESL kids can't do calculus. What are you talking about? And a lot of what ended up in the lit mag came from my ESL kids because they were there and I encouraged them to submit it. And so when I ended up leaving that job shortly after that, got my MFA, and then I stumbled onto Kaizen Muse Creativity Coaching. And it was one of those moments where the second I saw the webpage, I was like, I found my people. I took a, a week to decide if I was going to take the training, but it, you know, you knew the first day, you just took the week to convince yourself that it was okay. <laughs> And that's really, it was an immensely validating experience. And it was also so eye-opening because it was like, wow, look at this. Yeah, creativity is an individual process and everybody is going to come up with different stuff and all of that. But the elements of the creative process are the same for everybody. The blocks that people encounter are the same for everybody. If you're creatively blocked, there's nothing wrong with you. That's a totally normal part of the process. But a lot of people say to themselves, man, I can't even get myself to sit down and write 500 words. I'm just broken. There's something horribly wrong with me. I shouldn't be doing this. And it's just not true. It's just that we don't know that because we don't prioritize creativity enough to talk about it and talk about how it works. And yeah, what you were saying before about people who say, I don't have a creative bone in my body, which is a frighteningly common statement. I just sit there and go, really? Come over here. Let me prove how wrong you are. Yeah, you do. You just don't think you do because you've been told you don't. And you're probably telling yourself that you don't because you believe that 
the blocks that are getting in your way are just so weird and strange that you're just cursed and you couldn't be more wrong. You just don't know that. So I don't know how I got this in my head, but I ended up dropping out of college for many reasons. After the fact, I know part of it was I was one of the first people in my side of the my family that actually graduated from high school didn't get a GED and there was no there was no like oh you shouldn't go to college it was just like oh if you don't want to go to college it's okay and after two years I ended up dropping out I still I one of my regrets is I never got a degree I know it's not too late I mostly get irritated when I'm looking for a job and people are like oh you don't have a degree can't talk to you I'm mm -hmm. 60 years old. I've been in this career 40 years. How? <laughs> what would my BS in business matter? But anyway, that's another rant. But in my mind, I thought this would be like Sleeping Beauty. When the right prince came, all the obstacles would fall off and there would just be this great path. I kept thinking if I could find the right major everything would just flow. And the reality is no. Even if you want to do what you, even if you know what you want to get your degree in, it's going to be easy. It's going to, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And, and you have to work on it. Good friend of mine reached out and said, this is years ago, I have to do a speech at my weddings, my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And I need to tell you how much you mean to me because I've seen you make presentations at, on our different business and you look so natural and you make it look so easy. And you shared with us how nervous you were beforehand and how almost scared you are beforehand you perform and how you put in that work. And so every time I felt nervous, every time I felt scared, I went, but Jesse has that same thing. This is normal, right? Tom T. Hall says that I love is the perfect example of a song that it came to him in just a minute. It, he sold millions of copies and he goes, that's just not the way it happens. Normally it's over and over, right? You see the notes of Dylan. You get the feeling that when Dylan wrote a song, he just opened up his veins, poured out his emotions and there we go. And instead you see there's hours days, weeks, months of him working through to get what he ultimately wanted to do. That's not really a question, Nancy, but please share. <laughs> it's interesting because, yeah, most of the time it doesn't happen like that. There are moments when it does. Sting, if I correctly recall, and I read this a long time ago, so if I have the details wrong, forgive me, but the basics I'm pretty sure of, I'm pretty sure it was every breath you take that he woke up in the middle of the night with it in his head and got up and wrote it down. Things like that do happen. I have had a couple moments where I've written something and I couldn't tell you where it came from or where I've just gotten into that flow and wrote an immense amount and just was like, wow, I don't know how that happened. That was great. It may not ever happen again, but it was cool when it happened. But the rest of the time, you're the mere mortal. And yeah, you're going to sit there and you're going to have days where you look at a blank page and you go, I have no idea what to say. And sometimes there was one time when I started a, a new thing where 
I ended up having such a good laugh at what was going on in my head that I wrote a whole Facebook post about it and how I kept reading through everything and thinking I should just write crap because this is crap. crap. <laughs> but there, there's also merit to the idea that half of the intimidation is the blank page. And so just write anything, even if it's, I don't know what to say until other words start coming out. There's, there's lots of different ways to approach things. And part of it is not to be so hard on yourself and not to beat yourself up about it. Like you say, most people's creative process is not taking dictation from the gods, which one of the classical composers once described his process as. It's not always like that. Sometimes yeah. you sit there and you go, boy, this is just, this is like pulling the proverbial teeth today. Other days it's easier. But the, the key thing is just to keep your expectations low because the higher your expectations are, the more pressure you put on yourself, the harder you make it for anything to come out. The lower your expectations are, if you think about it like a little kid, that little kid playing with the Lego, building the boat that doesn't look like a boat to you, but they're convinced is a boat. That kid isn't saying, I have to build a Lego boat that is photorealistic to this ship from right. whatever. That kid is just, I'm building a boat. And therefore the kid builds. Does it look like a boat to you? No. But how far did you get trying to build your perfect boat versus how far this kid got? building what he was building. You make progress, even if it's not perfect, and then you can go back and make it better. But when you let yourself get out of your own way by lowering your expectations and keeping it simple, and even sometimes just keep it to five minutes, you can do more in five minutes than you think you can. If you end up on a roll, you can keep going. But even if you only have five minutes a day to do what you love doing that's enough to keep your brain in that process so that you don't have to try to dredge that energy back up later when you do have time there are times when so much i agree with what you said and before i forget there is a great book by j michael stravinsky the guy who did babylon 5 and all these others becoming a writer staying a writer and one of the chapters is about editing and he shows what he originally wrote. He shows all the edits. You get to see that pair, that chapter, the whole process to try to show how much of editing he's involved. The Aaron Sorkin has always said the blank page is the toughest, right? Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how often when I've had to do a work memo, I've thrown it out there and then I send it to two or three people and I go, it's much easier for you to edit this and tell me what I got wrong and what we need to change than just say, hey, write the memo. And the idea, and I will make the argument that most people have had this happen to them. I have had challenges at my work life or my home life, and I'm working on a camp figure. I've hit a brick wall, I've hit a brick wall, and then somehow a unique idea comes to mind and you go, why didn't I think of this right away? And the reality is in my mind, you have been, your subconscious is working on this. Your creative bones have been working on this. And what you think is a pardon the pun, aha moment <laughs> is actually the result of you five minutes creativity. My boss makes the joke. 
thinking is the hard part. That's why so few, many people do it. He said, <laughs> in I'm giving you new roles. I want you to block off time on your calendar to just think, right? And to do that. And we go back to what we started with. Creativity is not just drawing a pretty picture, writing a poem, playing a piece of music, planning a beautiful garden, doing a wonderful decoupage, decorating your home. Creativity is how we make our lives different and how we bring value to other people in our lives and to ourselves. And there are countless ways to be creative, correct? Millions. Absolutely. Yeah, that is great. And I want to say what you just said about you've always been working on that thing is so true. One of my very favorite creativity tools is a small question where you just ask yourself like the, a tiny little question, like, how can I make this more fun or how that's the easiest one to come up with because yeah. it's usually the one I do the most. It'll also be, how do I how do I make this project better? Whatever the, the issue is that you have going on, you don't want to make it, how do I solve the unified field theorem? Don't do that. But <laughs> you ask yourself that question and you let it go. You don't ask with the expectation of an immediate answer. And you do that a couple times a day for a couple days, a week, whatever. And what it does is your brain can't tolerate an unanswered question. So it's chewing on it subconsciously when you've asked it especially because you've asked it multiple times and eventually it will pop something up and it's probably going to be better than what you would have forced yourself to think up anyway, because it's integrating all sorts of things that you may forget about in your conscious mind. And it just pulls these things up. It's, it, it feels irresponsible to call it magic, but it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Gosh, Nancy, I feel like we could keep talking for another hour before I get to the Mary question. Your assignment is to get me the AHA songs. Yep. But if someone wants to find more about you and your podcast, how can they? The My website is fycuriosity.com. And I am on social everywhere as either fycuriosity or occasionally fycuriositypod. Okay. If I couldn't get fycuriosity. And the podcast is called F Follow Your Curiosity. And you can get to it from Apple, Overcast, Stitcher, any of those guys, and from the website, if that's easier, I'm out there. Come say hi. That sounds great. I will. I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna check out some episodes, and I think this sounds wonderful. All right, so Jay Armstrong, by the way, if you are one of Nancy's regular listeners and you're checking out my podcast, thank you. I appreciate it. She made you very proud. Um, <laughs> Jay Armstrong was an honors English teacher. He is no longer teaching. He is retired. But when he was teaching, he would spend every year his honors English class would take the song Thunder Road and would break it apart as a poem. They would go through the lyrics. They would talk about the imagery that Bruce portrays. They would talk about his choice of words. And they would compare it to other poems, such as like Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? So Nancy, that is your question. Does Mary get question. in the car at the end of Thunder Road? It's an interesting question because I'm, I think you come at it with a lot of yourself right? You have to. Absolutely. And as you no doubt will not be surprised to hear, the part of me that loves the idea of let's just go and travel and get out and do something adventurous 
absolutely loves that idea. But the part of me who looks at it as an invitation gets stuck on one particular line. I really get stuck on you ain't a beauty, but you're, hey, you're all right. And I'm not sure that would be a good enough invitation for me. So I am not convinced that Mary gets in that car. My wife is right there with you. <laughs> he called her ugly. Why would she get in the car? I said, she didn't really, didn't really call her ugly, but he's not. It's like coming up and saying, hey, you're my 16th choice. Want to come along? <laughs> yes. Um, now, for those of you who defend, I understand that because we're putting in context, we're assuming if we give the singer a little bit of grace that Mary has often said, I'm too ugly for anyone to want to see me. I've got too much baggage on me. I, there's just no way anyone would want to be in my life. And so him saying that, hey, you ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right, is addressing those things. I did read once that Julia Roberts says she thinks that's the perfect description of her. <laughs> hey, she ain't a beauty, but hey, she's all right, which I love, whether that's true or not. I think a perfectly fine answer and a lovely answer. About 60% of my listeners say yes. My guest, about 40% say no. We shared a few of them that have the under 2% that do something a little bit different. I love that answer. And I love the idea. You've articulated very well of why it's a great question to ask mm -hmm. and a better question to answer. There is the, are you afraid? Let's go. Come on. What do we got to lose? And the other part is, do I put all my chips on you? Yeah. Are you the right guy that I should go with? So yeah, said, well done. Yeah. When you frame it as she's already down on herself, that does cast a little bit of a different light on it. But I still think he could have done a better job of building her up. Absolutely. So thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank I, you. I, I had a blast. I, I can't wait to have you back on to, for us to do a deep dive on AHA. If you ever need a guest on your podcast to talk about the trials and joys of starting a podcast and doing that creatively, <laughs> I am here for you anytime. <laughs> Listeners, go check out Nancy's podcast. Go, hey, let's go listen to some AHA music. And let's send some good love vibes to her and the AHA band. For now, I want you guys to be safe. I want you to be kind. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. And we're out. Thank you, Nancy. That was a blast. That was so much fun. And it's, I had forgotten, or I would have said it at the time when I was talking about being at Radio City. Being at Radio City with all those other people who were also AHA fans. And, and I'll tell you, there was a guy sitting next to me who looked like this big, tough biker dude. And I'm sitting here going, really? Because he was like whooping and hollering at every single song. And I was, I, this I did not predict, but okay. <laughs> but it felt like the first time I walked into a Doctor Who con. Yeah. And I forgot until you mentioned Babylon 5 that you have the Babylon yes. 5 and the Doctor Who podcast. But it was the same kind of feeling. It was like, wow, look, there are all these other people like me. It's so cool. Who's your favorite doctor? I can get it down to four before I start running okay. myself in circles. I would say Peter Davison was my first, kind of at the same time as Tom Baker. But give me a break. I was a 14-year-old girl, sure. Peter Davison. <laughs> Yeah, that is my um, partner's favorite doctor. Yes, Davison. Yes, so he loves Davison. Paul McGann. I clearly go for the 
chronically underrated doctors. And just, then it's a, I, I love that he's gotten big Finnish audios, but just oh, I would yeah. have loved for him just to had another chance. I still would. And I'm so hoping every time Russell T talks about doing like a Marvel Universe kind of thing, I'm like, yes. give the man a show while we still can. Yes, absolutely. You know? And when I mentioned that in Long Island at the con either this year or last year the whole room was like yeah we're not alone and then matt smith and peter capaldi yeah 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 i i love i just love i'm excited about my hope is the same way that disney has had these there there's all these different star wars shows on right now mm-hmm. paramount has done that with star trek my hope is that Russell T. Davies, because he did Torchwood. He did Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah. There's rumor that we're going to have a unit series. I'd love, and I always get it wrong, but the Jenny and Madam Vesta and Stark, Mm -hmm. I'd love a little mini series with them. And yeah, I'd love to have even just another, even if we could just get a TV movie with Palm again. I was lucky enough to interview him at a con. Um, If I can find the video, I'll send it to you. Uh, he was just lovely and just this was right at the anniversary where he talked about Stephen Moffat calling saying happy birthday you're live in his little mini episode <laughs> but yeah I just I, I did that's oh great. god yeah night of the doctor I was at work and all of my friends were like you have to go watch this you have to go watch this and I'm like I'm at work and they're like go to the ladies room do whatever you yeah, have to do yeah, you have to watch this do. yeah and I was so glad that day because I ended up watching it on my phone at my desk and I was so glad that my desk and my boss who had the office great view of my desk was not there. And I was so relieved because everything was very secluded and I was so not expecting. It was funny because I recognized my voice, but I couldn't place it in time. And suddenly there he was. And I was on my feet with my arms. <laughs> I was the exact same motion. I, I wasn't spoiled because I got to watch it before work. And when I heard that voice, I'm the doctor, but not the one you're expecting. And I see him. I did the same thing. Holy shit. Oh, I yes. Know. Yes. I know. Oh. And so it was such a great moment. It so. was great. And I actually, I did get to interview him for my podcast three years ago. Oh, and, good. And I need, he's going to be at Long Island too, again in August. And I am going to remind him that we had a deal that we were going to catch up in a year and now it's been three (laughs) but this week's episode that i was just putting together last night is with peter davison wow good for you checking it out yeah i I, I, when the paul mcgann came up because the last panel of the con in 2019 somebody told him he should do a podcast meaning a drama podcast but he responded well to the idea and i just sat there thinking i have a podcast yeah, not sure. the kind you were expecting, but I have a yeah. podcast. So I went up and talked to him afterwards, and he said yes. And then I was convinced it wasn't going to happen, and all of a sudden, I got the email. But but yeah, so ever after, I just wander up to all the guests and invite them. So that's perfect. You know, you see that who says yes good. and who doesn't. So there's a, a yeah. bunch of names you may or may not recognize when you go looking. But I'm going to throw it out there when you want to spend it. Not only do I want an aha follow-up, but I will do a Doctor <laughs> Who episode and I'll throw that on my Next Stop Everywhere feed and we'll cool. just do an interview about your Who fandom. Yeah, I was going to say, right. if you ever want to so, talk about Babylon 5 or Who, shout. Yeah, so. absolutely. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. 
but I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at setlustingbruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.